All right, everybody, welcome to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Monday, May 18th, 2020, and today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Start building your first box today at BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON at checkout and save $10 off your first bill. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. I am your host, Detroit Sports Editor Noel Bianchi, here today, as always, with longtime Red Wings fan Ethan Smith. I'd like for you to start putting Built Bar Advocate when you introduce me to the podcast. Bar, I can do that. With I'm here with longtime Red Wings fan and Built Bar Advocate Ethan Smith. Ethan, yep, sounds good. Please continue. Uh, today, we, <laughs> today we have part one of a two-part interview with longtime Red Wings photographer Mark Hicks. Mark was a team photographer from 1984 to 2002. You probably know a ton of his work. Uh, he has a ton of great behind-the-scenes stories to share, including a tearjerker about the plane ride to meet the president after winning the Cup in 97. And we'll t- he'll tell that story on today's show, uh, along with him talking about how he got his start with the Wings, what it was like to be in the Devils locker room after they won in 95, and more. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast and have part two ready for you tomorrow where Mark talks about his famous photo from March 26, 1997, how he ended up creating the spot between the benches for photographers and, and now TV analysts, some of his favorite stories from there. One last note, the Lockdown Red Wings podcast is on YouTube now. Go on YouTube and catch uh, episode highlights. I'll be right in a row. Uh, we'll make playlists and all that other good stuff so you can check out anything that you might have missed on there. And, of course, there will be links to full episodes. And like I mentioned, on Friday's show, we are also now on Instagram and Facebook. So you can find us both on uh, both those sites by just searching Locked on Red Wings. The, that's the handle for the Instagram and uh, Facebook. A little bit different, but pretty much uh, it's the same. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this one. We'll see you at the end of the show. At this time, we now welcome on legendary Detroit Red Wings photographer, Mark Hicks. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, boys. Look forward to it. Now, you may know him uh, best from the photo we took of Darren McCarty beating Claude Lemieux senseless with Adam Foote, Brennan Shanahan in the background. Uh, We will get to all that in just a moment, but... Right now, you, you are the coach of Ann Arbor Gabriel Richard these days. What else have you been up to? And can you kind of uh, give us a synopsis of your, your career journey with the Red Wings? Uh, wow. How many got a couple hours? No, uh, a couple of things. One, I'm the assistant coach out at Gabriel Richard, so I want to clear that up. We have a great coach, at, uh, coach uh, Robert, and the boys out there, I just uh, that's one of the funnest things I get to do with coach high school kids. Are you kidding me? That's a riot. Um, how I got started, I'm kind of like a, a farm kid from Saginaw originally, and I used to race motocross when I was young. So I traveled around, you know, it was kind of like an X Games kid before it had a name. All the stupid at the time, you know, like that dog don't hunt kind of thing. Out <laughs> <laughs> Jumping dirt bikes off of roofs of houses and crazy. Played a little high school hockey, was just a bender, was no good. You know, we go hockey rink had a roof, but no walls. So for the games, you took snow shovels if it's snowing. Wow. We had screen, you know, no, uh, we had boards, but uh, fence, you know, screen for uh, no glass, you know. So. Um, oh, wow. We thought it was cool and they put a roof over it. We were the cat's ass. Man. We had lights in the roof. We could skate at night and had a roof in case of rain. <laughs> um, crashed out big time down in Memphis, Tennessee on the motocross thing. I was racing motocross and broke everything damn near between my knees and my shoulders spent a month in the hospital down there and um, a friend of mine got a job at CompuWare this will all tie together in a minute CompuWare was just starting up right and they were our hockey uh, nuts there I mean they talked hockey about eight hours a day and worked maybe one hour a day but Pete Carmanos and Tom Cruise and those guys had something you know for sure I had no idea 
so my buddy calls me and says, hey, they're hiring people, and you played hockey, right? I said, yeah. He goes, there are hockey nuts up here, so I flew up for an interview, and they hired me on, on site. And about a month wow. later, I uh, was talking to somebody about cameras and some pictures. I really wasn't a photographer. I took pictures at the races. And uh, Pete Carmanis came walking in and said, you, you know, so-and-so, yeah, I'm not like we're drinking buddies. And um, he said, I just bought a hockey team. How quick can you get your camera and get back here? So I lived about a mile from Concord. I said, I can go get it right now and be right back. So he said, we'll wait for you. So I'm thinking, okay, bought a hockey team. Big deal. I don't, I don't quite get it yet. I'm not. <laughs> now we're going through the border. I'm like, don't have a passport. Like, we're, uh, Pete, where are we going? He goes, I bought a team in Canada. So it was a press conference when we bought the Spitfires. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and around scratching my head, figuring I'm in another country with the camera shooting for a millionaire guy who just bought a hockey team. And I'm on, on the job, maybe a month at Compuware. Um, that's how the hockey thing started. And then he asked me if I would go down to the Joe and take pictures of guys that skated in the Compuware program. And there was quite a few, Adam Burt, Jimmy Carson, Patty LaFontaine. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of Ally Afraidy, a bunch of Detroit talent that with the Contour umbrella, you know, young kids, uh, kids that, you know, got their name in the record book and did it, did it right. So I met John Hartman, who was a Red Wing team photographer at the time, and the attendance was bad, the product was bad, that was in 84. You know, we had one Tuesday night game against Winnipeg, we got about seven inches of snow, and I don't think there was maybe 200 people in the building. There's one drunk guy at Stony Gate. <laughs> well, probably when the place is full, nobody can hear him. But when there's only 73 people in there, and you're down 7-0 in the third period or something, every, you could hear every word. Just, <laughs> every word. And the guys on the bench filing the third period were just warned. They just all had their heads down because this guy was so drunk and he was so belligerent. <laughs> and that's kind of from where, when the Illiches took it over, where it's at today. Well, then you, I, I mean, you were with the Red Wings from 84 to 02. I cannot imagine being there for a more perfect stretch. You get there the year after Steve Eiserman is drafted, and then you leave after the, the, your final year is a year that has one of the most famous, just well-oiled machines, just juggernauts of all time in, in the game of hockey. Yeah, you know, uh, I would like to say that was planned out some way, shape, or form. <laughs> but, uh, I almost bought the farm down in Memphis, and I took the big dirt sample down there, and uh, it changed me a lot. You know, I think it, they got a name for the syndrome. People have been in bad wrecks and stuff, you know, and shouldn't be here. But it opened up your eyes, and um, I do a lot of charity work and do a lot of work with kids. And hockey's give is a platform that's allowed me from just being some dumb fuck, you know, walking in off the street saying, hey, you know, walk the right path and do good things. Take them down and introduce them to, you know, the Red Wings or you take them to a game or a Red Wings practice. Kids listen to you, you know. That's all been pretty cool. But really, more than anything, it's just luck being in the right place at the right time. I mean, if I wouldn't have gotten the accident, I wouldn't have been looking for a job. If I wouldn't have got a job, I wouldn't have been meeting Pete Carmanis. If Pete Carmanis didn't turn out to make a billion dollars and you know, it's almost single-handedly resurrecting Mr. Illich, Detroit. Think if we didn't have the Illiches and the Carmanis, what Detroit City would look like. Ford and uh, Penske are the other two saviors there. But those two guys got in early when the city was dying. You know, they were moving their employees back into town when everybody else was on the bus out. So thumbs up to them two boys. You know, this conversation is super fascinating to me because I love taking pictures. Uh, just on Friday, actually, I posted a picture of the most recent shipment of Built Bars that I got to my house. I posted that on Twitter just in case everybody thought I was a fraud. I said, boom, here's some photo evidence, threw a nice filter on that thing, and uh, it, it, people were just loving it. Have you been getting hate? 
No, not, not one bit. Because here's the thing. Ethan. Who would think I, that you're a fraud? You're one of the most genuine people I know. Which will let you know that this is genuine too. And that is that Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar with 16 amazing flavors and covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. You just can't beat it, except for the fact that they're also healthy. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. That's what I'm trying to do. I didn't have so great of a weekend. can easily get back on track by uh, cutting some of my meals short, mixing in a Built Bar, making sure I get that high protein, making sure I get that energy and uh, am ready to start my week. My favorite one is the mint brownie. Oh, it's got that's a good one. 50, I, dude, dude, just wait. Okay. 15 grams of protein. <gasps> I know. Kicker? Only 110 calories. You're lying. Nope. I would never lie to you about Built Bars. And I wouldn't lie to you, the listeners, either. Right now, when I tell you that if you go to BuiltBar.com and use a promo code locked on, you will get $10 off your first order. That is no lie. Use the promo code locked on at BuiltBar.com and get $10 off your first order. And in return, guys, this is all I ask. When you get your Built Bar shipped to your house, do me a favor. Find me on Twitter at Nolan Bianchi and tweet it at me. Promo code locked on, BuiltBar.com, $10 off. Snap a picture of your box. Send it to me. We'll all celebrate. We'll all be happy. It'll be a great day on the internet. And you were a big uh, behind-the-scenes guy in that golden era of Red Wings hockey. We want to get some of those stories, but we'll start with one that you shared with me about a week ago. Uh, The Red Wings going to meet the president after winning the Cup in, in 98. Yeah, you know, like for my job, it's really weird because there's no uh, orientation. I'm not really an employee. I'm a subcontractor. There's no, uh, nobody tell you, here's the rules. This is how we, what our team photographers do and don't do. So you kind of walk around and take a step. And if nobody bitch slaps you, then you get that piece of it's okay. Then you get closer to the locker room and you keep going until somebody throws a water bottle over your head. Then you figure, oh, I crossed the imaginary line. I guess Dominic Kosick doesn't like people taking this picture when he's on the bike with his shirt on. It's not like somebody pulling you aside and telling you, don't photograph Dom. You learn it by ducking so you don't get hit. You know, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a puck, I guess. <laughs> um, but all that's really cool, behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't um, – you just kind of wander into it, you know. So you don't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. You go from that Tuesday night game against Winnipeg to actually, like, winning a Stanley Cup. It's unbelievable. I'm standing on the ice and guys are like, Hixie, Hixie, because I was the guy taking the pictures and, you know, yeah. got the puck and I'm like, holy shit, Stevie, look at everybody. He's like, take the fucking picture, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Jump from a fan back to a, an employee or, you know, you got a task to do. Um, I don't know. Where's the original question? I started talking about it. The, the plane ride to Washington uh, when they were going to go meet the president owned the Tigers at the time. He had a smaller jet that only seated 34 people, including staff, pilots. So the boys, um, they filled that 34-person plane up with the roster, assistant coaches, uh, trainers, and all that kind of stuff. So um, oftentimes we flew uh, separate to get to the same spot. But that plane was small. It had a ladder that dropped down. Had a tragic car accident, right, four or five days after. So Vladdy was not going to be able to make it. He was in his treatment. Sergei Manasikhanov, sound mentally, but body trash. Vladdy, kind of the opposite. You know, body good, but mentally uh, a lot of damage and trauma there. So you know, it was hot. The guys had the suits on. We were at Pontiac, Oakland Airport. 
Uh, everybody's out in the tarmac. We weren't in the, we weren't in the hangar. And the stairway is about 18 inches wide to go up this plane. Sergey is about a 300-plus pound hunk of love, and he's in a wheelchair, and he can't help at all. I mean, he's all fused and wired, his arms and shoulders and back. He's, he's stuck. So they tried to go this way and tried to go that way. And then Lena, his wife, is uh, very humble. She's upset. You guys got to leave without her. She starts crying. Sergey starts crying. Half the players are crying. You know, we're looking at our watches. The pilots are like, we got to go if we're going to make it. You're only holding up the president, you know. <laughs> uh, Marty Point took off his jacket, loosened up his tie, rolled up his sleeves, reached in there and scooped up Manatsa. I'm going to cry telling this story. I don't tell very often, but uh, scooped up Manatsa and walked right up that plane and put him in that seat. Turned amazing. Around, get that wheelchair. And there was not a dry eye in a plane. I mean, I was, I'm shaking just telling the story. That was Marty. I mean, Marty was a beast, you know. He was the guy on the yeah. ice. There's some guys that got Chuck Manson eyes and some guys that don't, you know. When Marty would throw the gloves down on the ice, he would be going like, hey, hey, you know, let's, <laughs> are you going to give me some? Come on. And the guys are like, oh, you're nuts, dude. Like, I don't want none of that. I don't want to do with what's behind there. <laughs> you know, he's in such good shape. When the guys would come in for training camp, they would do their setups and pull-up deal and everything. Yeah. Guys would do 10 pull-ups, 12 pull-ups. The bigger guys, maybe no pull-ups. Marty gets on there and starts doing pull-ups and telling stories about his summer and everything, talking to people, looking over his shoulder. He did about 50 pull-ups. And he looked at the coaches like, tell me when you want me to stop. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I've never done 50 pull-ups in my life. I know. I mean, any guy could bench press 400 or something. That's crazy. And that's such a, that's such a humanizing moment. You know, I just think it's so interesting that this team in particular, like, has these moments where it just gets so – heavy and, and emotional in the midst of all this glory yeah it's really tough uh you know i it's really a weird deal the uh jinx that the red wings had on their defensemen you know if you go up and look back if laddie stayed in the lineup yuri fisher stayed you know yui croup to some extent you know i mean he supposedly got hurt on his dog sled or something right but he only played like three or four games and he was a top four defenseman in the league when we picked him up and Mr. Illich had the wallet open, and Kenny Holland was going for the big hitters. I mean, for a while, I was like being a defenseman on the Red Wings is like being a fat guy in Saturday Night Live. I mean, <laughs> you know, bad stuff can happen to one team that really doesn't deserve any of them. I mean, you can't look back on any of those horrible situations and say you got what's coming to them. You're doing the right thing. It's just a tragic situation. Oh, and that's tough. That's a tough deal. As a team photographer – What's your job? Like, my job is to record the history of the team. I like to think that when I'm dead and gone two years or 22 years from now, that when you walk into the building and all those pictures of the guys in the locker room, sipping the, you know, that you look at all, all that stuff still there. So uh, now you got bad things. Guys, it's a press conference at the hospital. I took the camera and went over there that night, um, you know, and didn't take a picture. I just thought, I don't know if all the news media, like, I'm not news media. I'm not a friend of the team at that point in time. My job is really to record history historically do I need to do this? And there's 14 other photographers shooting a million frames right next to me. I figured this would be covered by them pretty good. So, but you never know, you know, you don't know in that situation, I don't have a boss. My boss is everybody that works for the team. Mm -hmm. Customers and season tickets and promotions and the Kroger marketing team. Then you got external customers, upper deck, sports illustrated, Getty images, the other team that comes in, you know, as the other team comes in, they give you a little card every game and say, this player is going to play his 50th game. This guy might get his hundredth assist. This guy's in the lineup with his cousin on the ice at the same time. So you shoot for the other teams. 
you got all those customers, you know, you're trying to deal at once. That's the back, that's some of the backside stuff that you really struggle with. Cause you, you don't, who do you ask like what you should do there? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty much just relying on your own like uh, intuition of, of ethics and does this feel right? Now, another tough time that had happened was after the loss in New Jersey in uh, 95, 96. You know, we uh, had to shorten the year that year with the strike. It was almost in July we were playing. The buildings couldn't handle the heat. You know, the ice was like skating on freaking mashed potatoes. They were putting something going for 102 degrees out, you know. And we cruised through the playoffs pretty good. You know, we were the team that was just going to walk right through it. And then we got, just got our asses uh, kicked. We beat Chicago, I think, in five, maybe six. Um, but we were broke up. You know, Sean Burr was hurt. Uh, Ray Shepard, I think, was our leading scorer that year. He broke his wrist and his thumb in that game. We had walking wounded. We had nothing for New Jersey. And, you know, as soon as the, as soon as the very first national anthem, the two benches are next to each other. Uh, you got Slava Fatisov is coming to the bench and Scott Stevens on the other side of the bench. And they knew each other because they both played in New Jersey. And we had Paul Coffey and Slava, right? Mm-hmm. Just kept Slava, Slava, Slava. He finally looked over and he goes, you know, we're going to play. We're going to play kill the grandpa. And, and, and if you look at that game. And that's they, how you know. <laughs> up, they knocked Slava Kozlov into another language. They hit him so hard he went into the training room and he came out on the bench looking for Manasa Konoff. And they're like, what do we need Manasa for? He goes, he's not speaking English anymore. We oh wrong with him. It's a hard check when you get the language knocked out of you. <laughs> just going to say that. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, then you're thinking in that situation, again, uh, to tie that up is like there was a lot of commotion going on in New Jersey, one at home. The buses couldn't get out of the building, so the players didn't want to sit on the bus. The players were all hiding under the bleachers. Nobody wanted to talk to the media. They all had their family, wives, kids, cousins, uncles, favorite amateur coach in the building, you know. And then, again, what do you – you take pictures of Stevie standing under the bleachers, you know, with his head down, having a moment alone. Mm-hmm. Really historical moment in my mind, but that's one, again, I put the camera away. I mean, what did you see in that moment? Uh, can you walk us through that? Um, you know, it's it's a different perspective for me probably because I, I didn't have a clue. Like the NHL told us that if New Jersey wins, that as soon as the game ends, that I'm the New Jersey photographer because the, the home, you know, the guys don't shoot the losing team. So like mm-hmm. if, other way, if they're in our building, you know, and – uh, they would win. I would be their photographer. So I was on the hook with the NHL. So I'm right in the, right in the locker room, you know, like taking pictures, partying with New Jersey. It's pretty hard when you, when I'm, all these, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, they like grab me. They no media in the locker room. They see me, they open the door, grab me by the collar and throw me in, go take a million pictures. I'm like, I'm bleeding through blue Red Wing stuff. <laughs> Because I didn't realize what was coming. You know, that I was going to be in their locker room with no media for 20 minutes, the only photographer, you know, taking pictures. Um, as far as the players go, I think um, what I saw in that is how Stevie handles his business, you know, that he stays professional all the time in a, in a really difficult time. You know, losing a series like that and then having to go out to a whole room of media and say we got beat by a better team and we should have played better and, I apologize to my fans and my family. Not too many people can do that, you know, mm. and keep their eyes open and look you square in the eye. Most guys would be looking at their toes saying that you're doing this, you know, south side shuffle the whole time. 
so that's what I saw in Stevie. I saw, you know, a guy that's got unbelievable leadership skills under pressure. Well, it's interesting because like even, I, I mean, obviously in the case of like a big loss like that, they're not going to want you around. Do you have any, uh, do you have any, I guess, memories of, you know, times that you look back and go, wow, I really nailed capturing that moment, just the emotion in it and, and everything like that. You know, um, not the emotion per se. I mean, really, I tell people, and it's pretty true, I'm kind of an average photographer that's put in a fantastic place to capture, you know, history. I mean, if you take a point-shoot camera and you happen to be standing right next to Winston Churchill when he signed a peace accord or something, that's a famous photo and you got to, you know, you didn't know right. you did. Sometimes, or hopefully quick, you just take a lot of pictures. When I first started, it was all film and available light, meaning just the light that's in the building, which was horrible. So it was tough to, unless you were Sports Illustrated and brought a crew of eight people in to shoot one game, you know, it was tough to get really good quality image. And then the technology changed. We had strobe lights. So you have a little flash on your camera. Well, take those and give them a heavy dose of Tim Allen juice, hang eight of them in the building and they're this big around and every, hook them all together to a wire, plug that wire into your camera. And every time you take a picture, you're firing, you know, enough shit to put sunspots on a redhead. <laughs> I mean, a lot of light, a lot of light. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really expensive lighting. So the problem with that is, though, every time you take a picture, it takes about a second and a half to recharge. So you got mm -hmm. the Marty fight picture. You're not sitting there going like, you know, remember digital now, you put a card in, you got 20,000. Yeah. Right. You make a motion picture and then go back and pick the best one out of 1,000. Mm -hmm. Numbers game. In my day, it was filmed and filmed with strobes. We take a picture, then I got to go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, picture, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. If you go boom, 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 all of a sudden there's smoke in the rafters and there's, you look up in the rafters because you just melted down your lighting system. It's funny to me because like I look back at, and we can kind of get into this a little bit, I guess, but uh, you, I look back at a lot of old Red Wings photos. Like I, I love going back and just like searching the archives, searching newspapers and stuff like that. And it's so fascinating to me how many pictures like from the eighties, nineties, even seventies, like I look back on and I know it's a difference in film and digital photography, but I, I look at these old pictures and I go, wow, why, why don't pictures today look like that? I wish pictures still looked like this. Right. It, it leaves a lot of artistic impression behind. I mean, we used to do crazy things. Like I would take one of those lights and put them right over the bench. Like Scotty Bowman they had this thousands game or something. Mm -hmm. So separated one light from the rest of them. And so the whole Joe's kind of like, you know, half lit, but there's like God shining a light through a bullet hole and Joe Lewis or something is coming right down Scotty Bowman, you know, and we could do all that back in the day, but now there's a lot more regulations and um, the market, the, ki the kids that are coming out photographers now out of school, you know, are the competition for old hacks like me and they're good and they'll work for, you know, uh, 20 bucks a game. Shit. I want, I need 500 bucks. That's my day rate. If I like you, what was it like working with uh, a Scotty Bowman and just kind of, was he, was he good to you? I mean, like, you know, you're like in a position where uh, you're always there. You're just a fly in the wall. So the guys, unless they're nervous or something's going on, usually they don't talk much to me, you know, um, but everybody's very respectful. And, and what's cool is every one of them guys is a hero in their hometown. They all got a grandma and aunt that writes you a letter. Can you send me a picture of my nephew, Darren? He's such a boy, you know. <laughs> You get all that kind of stuff. So uh, everybody was really polite. The Swedish guys are the most polite, probably in the quietest, you know. I mean, they're, they're really um, humble bunch of people. 
Um, the guys that come from the Russian block stuff really showed me a lot of respect and, uh, and friendship and courtesy. And some of those guys, like especially Larianoff and Fatisov, I could tell you, we could run a whole show on just those two guys on the ice, how aware of everything. I mean, there's, I've never seen anybody at, a, at that level in, in any sport, in basketball, baseball, football, any sport, like those two guys when they were on the ice and commanded the ice. Um, so the Russian guys are really nice to me. And, and they're probably always nice because, like, some of the pictures that we would take after practice, they don't want out in the newspaper. They want that. They want him and their buddy, you know, like mm-hmm. the team skates in the morning and then your home team skates like an hour after, vice versa. So those guys some once in a while will show up and say, hey, take a picture of me and Slava together. You know, we were roommates in the Olympics or something. So if you take care of them guys like that, pretty cool. So you were one of the first photographers to sit between the benches at the Joe. Like, what are some of the craziest memories from that? I was the guy that built that spot. But we were looking to get better access to the bench. That spot's 22 inches wide, the original spot. Well, the Joe's gone now. And then when we first put it in there, we didn't have glass on either side. So the first game sitting in there, I'm sitting down on a milk. Man. You got like Proby right here, four inches from you. And you <laughs> or somebody on the other side. And then it never stops the banner. Hey, you, you know, F this, F that. You know, hey, I wouldn't F you if you, you're the ugliest. And they're going in by the third period, the guys would be almost laughing at each other. They'd be harder so much, squirt water on each other and shit. And then it was too close. So we had a game where the, a fight started, bang, 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 right over my head. And uh, so they put glass up on one side. They put glass up on a visitor side and left the home side empty. So it's still the coolest thing is um, I, I figured I – uh, photographed about 1,800 NHL games. And what I tell people is from inside the glass. I mean, and that's the difference is when you're inside the glass, you know, it's like a – You're in the game. You're in the game. I mean, you're, you're seeing what the coaches are doing, what the trainers are doing. You're, the guys coming back to the bench, you can tell what they're hurt by the way they're breathing. You know, I mean, you're in the game. And that's just a phenomenal spot. TV kind of took that over now. The TV's moved in there, and they kind of push us still guys out. Mm-hmm. At some point in time, they're going to be able to watch a really good TV, you know, burst and stop it and press a button and get a print file that's 40 megapixels out of the TV feed, you know, and then guys like me will be dinosaurs. Thank you so much for joining us for part one of our interview with Mark Hicks. We will be back tomorrow with a part two to talk about that photo from March 26, 1997. And little bonus for you guys i uh there was one part of our darren mccarty interview that we did leave out uh and that's it's his favorite inscriptions to write on the photo of him beating up claude lemieux uh, so we're going to plug that in after we talk to mark about how he got that photo and there's some really good ones it was the only thing that we cut from the darren mccarty interview just couldn't fit it into that last episode uh, but we were able to repurpose it and it's a perfect time uh, to plug it back in i think you guys will find it really interesting so be sure to subscribe rate us review us uh, and we will be back here tomorrow you'll get it before everybody else it's kind of like getting the newspaper delivered to your house instead of having to go off and get it so you're welcome just, just do yourself a favor, subscribe. You're only helping yourself. You're only making your day tomorrow even better. Part two, Mark Hicks. I can't wait. Ethan? Do you you sounded like you had a Bronx accent there. Were you kicking, were you kicking in like a Boston or Bronx, Bronx accent there? No, I, I just – I was passionate. That's passion. You're, mis, you're mistaken. You, you, turn, you turn into a New England person when you're – Sometimes. Passionate? Sometimes. Don't All right, you? Well, that's different. No, 
I just get louder. Wow. Oh.